Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the New Culture Podcast. My name is David and we're the NCP crew. Richo. How do you know I'm not Mel Tomei? Luke. I think by now there'll be a few telltale signs. And Crystal. And we can see you. Oh, and... good points. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't sing. Also a good point. <laughs> he can sing. Here comes the turn. He can talk, he can talk, he can talk, he can talk. I can <laughs> sing! <laughs> Convinced now, ladies and gentlemen? With my God-giving acting ability. <laughs> nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture-related film, book, and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Not only do we have the podcast, we also have our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com which features additional content not found on the podcast itself. For this episode, we have a dust jacket we'll be discussing the novel Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, supposedly the number one science fiction book of all time, according to sci-fi lists. That's right. And a popcorn junkie on Tim Burton's latest offering, Dark Shadows. But up first is Dust Jacket. Ender's Game is a 1985 novel written by Orson Scott Card. It's highly praised amongst science fiction fans. It won the 1985 Nebula Award and the 1986 Hugo Award, so it did the big double. It's also, as David mentioned, the number one science fiction book of all time, according to Sci-Fi Lists. It outdoes things like 1984 and Dune and Fahrenheit 451 and even Foundation. So what you're saying is, you know, our hopes shouldn't be that high. No, no, no. (laughs) Um... They're just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are just wrong. Mm. Good, so, you're learning. <laughs> so it's set in Earth's distant future, where we've discovered interstellar travel and uh, colonising of planets and things like that. Um, but uh, humanity has also encountered a race called the Formics, who are basically um, hive mind race so they function sort of like ants and literally referred to as the buggers as the buggers that's right basically just ants and uh, earth has become embroiled in multiple wars with the formics over the years so uh, despite a lot of friction between the different uh, governments on earth and there are three major powers at this time um, they're united in the creation of basically an intergalactic military force to fight these formic aliens And what happens in this society is that children are screened at a very early age to find the best and the brightest amongst them, and in many cases also the most ruthless amongst them. And downright psychotic. And downright psychotic, exactly right. In fact, the more sociopathic you are, the Mm. better. Um, And these children are taken... Well, not really. I mean, Peter's not allowed to go because he's sociopathic. That's true. But Ender is actually not allowed in early on, but then when he attacks a child that's bullying him and kills him, that's when they actually uh, admit him into the well, intergalactic police force. So that's, that's a pretty they, Only song. because they realised that it was because uh, after the interview, he said, he's asked, well, why did you do what he did? And it's because, because I knew that if I didn't stop him now, it would keep happening. Exactly. So it was a preemptive strike. And so mm. they're like, mm. sold. Mm. And off he goes. Whereas Peter's just clearly mental. That is true. <laughs> so Ender... To explain who these characters are. So Ender is actually a third child um, in a society where you're actually only meant to have two children. Um, he has a sister, Valentine, and a brother, Peter. And um, so at first, he's actually not uh, kind of dismissed from being even allowed into this intergalactic 
training facility called the Battle School. But uh, after this inciting incident, they basically see in him the characteristics that they think they need in order to fight this battle against the Formic Aliens. And so um, Ender actually enrolls in the Battle School, where he is quite early on um, isolated from everybody. And um, he's given, he's put into the squad of new recruits and really the weakest recruits um, in the new battle school. And, um, but bit by bit, he actually begins to excel in the training as a soldier. And as a leader, he actually shapes his squad um, of really riffraff into the best squad in the school mm, because he can he thinks that, outside the box where exactly right goes by the rules of um yeah. the rules of engagement and the rules of war whereas he you know breaks the rules at every conceivable opportunity because he needs to he win creates new rules exactly he's right a, he's a tiny and captain kirk yeah <laughs> that's exactly right but he's also completely ruthless i mean he's more than willing to sacrifice his people in order to win the battle. And as he progresses through the training, he becomes even more ruthless. Well, I don't think that he sacrifices them because in freezing them, he doesn't actually kill them. Mm. Yeah, no, but, but it's still it's, it's it's to signify training. that they're dead. Exactly right. So, so in a battle situation, most people would actually be dead. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, so he's willing to, as you say, think outside the box, but also completely ruthlessly. Mm. Um, and bit by bit, any innocence... I also like his, his, uh, his partial freezing... Like he partially mm. freezes his legs because they're because the, they're they're pointing at the enemy and mm. he can't you know they, they can't be shot yeah. at and stuff like that which I think is pretty cool. Once again, it's so like, he's willing to maim his yeah. soldiers. <laughs> exactly right. He's willing to do whatever it takes to win. And um, yeah, bit by bit, he loses even the slightest hint of childhood innocence <laughs> through this increasingly brutal training regime that he goes through. But but he continues to excel. Mm. So. It actually gets to the point where the military comes to see Ender as the only um, chance they have of winning the war. Like, his strategic mind is exactly what they need to beat the Formics once and for all. Yeah, they're so convinced that there's actually going to be a mm. third invasion mm. that, they're, that they're so desperate to get get victory mm. that they basically, like you said, strip Ender away of every, any chance he has as a normal childhood because they think exactly. he's the one. He's Neo, basically. Mm. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the only one that can save yeah. them. And, uh, Except he doesn't get a choice of which he doesn't get a choice. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. He is basically just shaped into this this perfect soldier. And 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 more more and more becomes obvious that they're probably right. Mm. I mean, it looks like it, it's the possibility is that he is the one. Mm. Which actually does bring us to, um, I mean, whilst the book is obviously very highly received, there is a major criticism in some quarters that the book is actually justifying violence and military violence and that all of Ender's actions are justified and I don't really see it that way um, having read the book uh, recently it doesn't I actually saw it more of a almost not so much an anti-war book but I mean Ender is completely stripped of everything that makes him who he is at the beginning of the story and it's basically shaped into this effectively this killing mm. machine so to me there's almost an anti war message to it or maybe an anti-military training message so but don't you think it's kind of strange that that Ender himself I mean he basically he, he at, at a couple of time, a couple of points in the story he seriously maims and kills two other students That's and right. both justified I mean he doesn't he doesn't know that they're dead but at the, at, until until much later on in the mm. story and, and, and yeah he was it was in self-defense but don't you think it's kind of weird that during numerous times in the stories I don't want to be a killer. 
I don't like violence. I don't like doing what I'm doing. And yet he's quite willing to sacrifice his teammates uh, to, for victory and take out these kids as ruthlessly as possible. So that, to me, pro- uh, promotes the fact that he he has no consequences for his actions. He's actually rewarded not... for being the but tyrant. That's, true. that's part of the point. That's exactly. part of the, that's part of the point. The the whole he actually doesn't, and I actually believe it. I think Ender is a fabulous character um, because you know he's caught in between that the situation of I'm actually being told and encouraged to do something that actually goes against my belief systems. He's being conditioned to accept a set of um, parameters and mainframes that actually he should be rebelling against and slowly but surely that's and you've, got to remember, he's in... you've got to remember the whole time too that he's still a little kid that's even, right. though, he's he's, when he's even though he's incredibly intelligent yeah. and can reason like an adult he's still only experienced like six years of his life yeah yeah mm. i mean yeah the the most formative period of his life between the ages of six and twelve mm. yeah. is when the military is as you say conditioning him they completely manipulate him they don't tell him mm. that he has killed these students because they don't want that to affect his decision making on the battlefield. And in I those mean, years of your life, you just go along doing what you do, yeah. thinking that's that's mm. that's normal. Uh, Which is why I see a very strong anti-authority message here. I mean, they're basically turning him into a into a killer, into effectively a monster. Um, but he goes along with it because they're authority figures. So I actually, um, it I mean, it takes him a long while mm. to wake up to think that they're maybe they're they're their enemy. Exactly. The core's um, mother, the core's father. I mean, that's what the military becomes. They become... Well, his mother parents. and father is, as um, characters are really non-entities, aren't they? Mm. They, 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 they don't say a lot through the whole thing. But they almost seem to be wanting to get rid of Ender. That's all, how I read, read the start, that they want to get rid of Ender themselves. They actually don't want him around because he is a bit weird and a bit strange and they mm. don't quite get him. Whereas, you know, they get Peter, who's, you know, psychotic and torturing squirrels well, in the also forest and Valentine with a about... sense of... So, socialism and a, uh, her determination to prove what's fair and what's right. There's also this Whereas social thing where they're going to have two children and mm. he's a bit of an embarrassment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't think they want to get rid of him, but, but they're, they're not they're, too sad yeah, when, he, when they yeah. have the opportunity arises. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just want to just read something out here. Elaine Redford wrote a review of Ender's game called Ender and Hitler, Sympathy for the Superman. Uh, in which he posits that Ender Wigan is an international reference by card to Adolf Hitler, and she criticises the violence of the novel, particularly at the hands of the protagonist. Now, I never interpreted... Yeah, but the reason she questions the violence is because of what I, what I just said. She, yeah. she, he basically has no consequences. Hmm. But I think the impact that the violence has on Ender as a character, I mean, he is, by, by you know almost the end of the novel, he's quite devastated by everything that he's been put through if there's ever and a he's hitler... almost he's almost crushed by by what he's done mm-hmm. if there was ever a uh-huh. hitler analog it would be peter not ender exactly um which actually mm-hmm. brings us to another what i consider a rather strange aspect of the book in that um peter and valentine who are ender's brother and sister become political spokespeople for two sides Social of commentary the, yeah mm-hmm. of the political argument and um yeah. it's rather weird like i'm not Quite certain, I see all of those parts of the book should have been cut out. Yeah, I'm not no, quite sure I see the purpose. It does tie together at the end. Mm. It, I mean, I know, yeah, it does tie together. That's fine, but it's but I just, I'm not sure that it really. It kind of distracts away mm. from what I consider the mm. um, the the strongest aspect of the mm. book. I mean, Ender's 
story and Ender's um, um, development as a character, his character arc, is I think really quite fascinating. Mm. Well, and I think the the other parts of it, which do give you a little bit of background, they do yeah, sort of fill in... background on the world. Yeah, I'm not True, interested in what's happening in the no, world. I think all they need to know is that governments are, are, are angry at each other, which they always are. Yeah. And that's all you need. Uh, I, if, uh, I'm not saying that I don't disagree with what's been said. I do, um, I think. But isn't it better to give the more human perspective on what's going on, on, what's going on in, in the wider universe? Well, I also think Valentine's character is fascinating in that you get the psychology of Ender and Peter through her character as yeah, well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's that's all you need, basically. Uh, like, you need... Valentine's essential. So Yeah, well, well she, she becomes... She the stuff when they start the doing the political temper. writing, you don't need that stuff. Mm. You just need Valentine as the emotional But the temper. political yeah, she, she writing is a tool where the they the... use it to, to, to show her, how, her Valentine's sort of indecision whether she should throw a lot in with Peter or not and is she as bad as Peter... But she's clearly not as bad as Peter right from the start. For, for me, yeah. I found she that, know that I found that I was so focused on Ender's story mm. yeah. that the stuff with Peter and Valentine, especially with Peter, but even with Valentine to a certain extent, when when you're not dealing specifically with her relationship to Ender, mm. I actually found it distracting. I found that it's actually drawing me out of. Ender's story and Ender's mm, story, yeah. I think, is just like, brilliant. Yeah. It's just I just find it distracting, but I thought if you're going to have a subplot, you maybe need to develop it a bit more. Yeah. Mm. Oh, actually, less development. Luke's a big fan of of how yeah, there's bits in the story where the story just doesn't progress. Like mm. it's like it's like flag, so um, lag and stuff like yeah. that. Mm. And this book has that that basically a how to make your story boring <laughs> sort of bit. It's like there's actually three chapters right in the middle where Ender's going through quite a dramatic emotional change mm. where they start talking about Locke and whatever Valentine's persona mm. is mm. and three chapters of them talking yep. about their stuff and it's like the story just died for me just it's actually just stopped dead I just mm. like, I now mm. have no interest in whatsoever and I have no shame that I started skipping pages mm. I just I basically just scanned it to make sure those names weren't mentioned as soon as yeah. Ender was mentioned again I was like mm. okay I'll yep. start reading that yeah, was yeah, they're, they're pretty, they're I, pretty much become the inf- that, that middle has become the infamous you people either really love them because they they think it explores the world and draws the characters out, and everyone else hates it because he's begun. The story has just stopped. Yeah, dead. It's just well, terrible. And, and there are far more interesting supporting mm. cast members in the book. Totally, um, yeah. I'd like to bring up Mazer Rackham for everybody to discuss. Just a, just a brilliant, absolutely brilliant. What an absolute character. prick! Um, <laughs> and a cool name though, Mazer Rackham. But he kind of um, he's very much the one that takes Ender and really starts to shape him. Yeah. Mm. Um, he's the one that isolates him. He's the one that uh, that yes. promotes him at the right time. Drives him sick with stress. Exactly. Mate. He's the one is that really... The mentor, is the mentor archetype turned on its head. Exactly. In no way is he actually... Sh- he's shaping him for shaping Ender for his career, but in no way is he shaping him to become maybe, the man that Ender should become. If maybe if uh, Obi-Wan was a bit like a bit more like Maze, Luke would have become a Jedi far earlier. <laughs> By the Sorry. end of New Hope... Luke is a Jedi. So what you're, what you're saying, yeah, there's, what you're there's saying there's no sparing the rod in Mazer world. What you're saying then, in that instance, then, is if Obi Wan took the approach that he maybe should have taken with both Luke and Anakin. That's right. <laughs> it would have been oh, thirty would, There would have been, um, but there would have been maybe two films worth yeah, of story. Right, two <laughs> films. <laughs> kind of had all the rest of the um, <laughs> To get back to the would violence, have been Luke versus Anakin. To get back to the violence charge, um, would. Because a lot of people, that's one of the major criticisms against the book, not just from that article, but a lot of people really respond negatively to the violence. 
One of the pieces of feedback that Orson Scott Card got was from a mother who had read the book at the recommendation of her son. And one of her big criticisms, she didn't like the book, she said that none of these characters sound like kids. To which Orson Scott Card responded, I never thought I sounded childish when I was that age. Mm. Is that why people have a big problems with the violence? Because they're being told that they've got um, that they've got kids as the main characters. I don't think it's a problem as kids. I mean, what about Lord of the Flies? Well, it's, it's, but, it's, Lord of the, but Lord of the Flies is a quote-unquote mainstream adult novel. It's about um, kids, though. It is about kids, but they can take it in, in, in they can take it out of, mm. in wider context. You know, they're 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 in an atomic war, and yes, I know the arguments that are going to be put forward against this, but you know, they're they're in an atomic war. They're seeing we're seeing, you know, humanity reduced to its savage nature, whereas you know here. He's being taken out of his, you know, the confines of his safe home environment, and you know we're seeing his own humanity reduced to its. No, I think it's t- it's totally in line with um, plenty of other books or films that I've read where you've got like a boys' school yeah. Yeah. or something like that, and they they, yeah. all, they acted they yeah, well, they still acted like children, yeah. frankly. Yeah. They were acting like Crystal said, acting like people that have only been alive for six years. Yeah. Well, yeah. In, in the introduction to the still book, like kids. yeah. In the in the introduction to the book, Orson Scott Card actually says that. Really, what had happened was he'd read, like so many writers, he'd read Foundation and decided that's what he yeah. wanted to do with his life. He wanted to be a science fiction writer. But he didn't have the you know, socio-political background or understanding that Asimov had to write something like Foundation. But his brother was, um, I think, a Marine mm. and had gone through the Marine training. And so he, he, he'd gotten to understand what the, that training was mm. like. And... So then he then extrapolated on that. But I, look, I think the problem here is that people seem to think that because this book has children in it, mm. that therefore it's a children's book. Mm. And it's clearly not. As you say, I mean, this is very much about the loss of childhood. Mm. But the difference is here, the loss of childhood is actually um, created by the state and by the military. So it's a very deliberate stripping away of childhood. Mm. What I found interesting reading it from the point of view, from now today's in today's day and age point of view is the a lot of the time the little kids were running around with no clothes on mm. which is fine i remember back when i was that age probably around the time the book was written maybe a bit earlier that's what little kids did you just run around with no clothes on but uh, also thinking that the adults are constantly watching them i thought i didn't it didn't occur to me at first but i thought that's that's a little bit creepy. <laughs> it's a bit creepy, but a lot about the uh, adults is in this is creepy. I mean, oh yeah, the adults are. A lot of what um, our friend Mesa Rackham does is uh, is just horrifying at times. Um, well, it's actually it's interesting too to point that um, this book has actually become part of the U.S. Marine Corps' mm. like recommended professional reading list. Mm. Um, it's for the, for the military strategy. Yeah, for for you know for the lower ranks and also for officer. Candidate midmanship, uh, midshipman. Mm. So, I don't know. I find that kind of disturbing, to be honest with you. That... Because they don't want to turn them into Horatio Hornblower. <laughs> now they think that Ender Wigan is the way to go. Yeah, it's just. Mm. Yeah, it's quite amazing that because I mean, as I said, I read it very much as very anti-military. Mm. So the fact that the Marines have embraced it and yeah, recommended it. I don't see it as anti-military. I see it. I see it as anti-violence. I think it's anti-military. I mean, it celebrates the military. For, for the for their massive achievement, I mean, look at the, what they've done. But at the same time, it shows the military as 
you know monsters that are willing to manipulate and coerce and yeah, but, control a child but, but, into but, serving their purposes. I mean, I think nothing, that's quite. There's anti- nothing wrong with that. I think that's. I don't think that's monstrous at all. So that the end justifies the means. And I think that's wrong. And in the book, it's presented as wrong. I mean, Ender is, as I said, by the end, you know, um, once his training is done, Ender is completely shattered and distraught and emotionally scarred. One person versus the population of the Earth. Uh, I think that's that's perfectly acceptable. (laughs) Collateral damage. Um, We've talked about, you know, why the rail against some of the criticisms against it. Can we take it from the other perspective now? This is seen as the number one science fiction book. Thank you for mentioning that. Above Dune, Foundation, <laughs> yeah. 984, Fahrenheit 451, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, stars by Destination, stars people! <laughs> star, I'm talking about in the, the, in the actual top ten of that list. Screw the list's top ten. Okay, then, okay. above about? Stars by Destination, <laughs> Thank you. above Lord of Light, above The Forever War. Yes. Um, is this... No. <laughs> I'm Let sorry. Man this is, this Shut up. I, just, I just had to pull a loop there. This is, this is jumping in. You're just wrong. Sorry. I haven't said anything <laughs> yet. Um, I take your first point. Your second point. No. This is the greatest science fiction novel of all time. No. I, I just said no. No. I am now throwing it open, out open to the other members of the group. <laughs> right, who are Who is not sitting there, Dave. <laughs> who shall not be mentioned. Um, I, I can actually understand why it is so highly praised amongst people. I mean, it is probably one of the better character-driven, character-developed science fiction stories out there. It doesn't have the big epic storyline of a movie like Dune. Um, It doesn't have the level of social complexity and social commentary of a book like 1984. But it is a a strong character piece, and I think that's what appeals to a lot of people. Um, and that's why it ranks so highly. I, um, uh, but it, it, it I, I that that would, and I agree. I think really it's, it, Ender is the sole device that carries the book. Ender is a is a great creation, and the book, if he wasn't anywhere near as well written, or if it focused even more on Peter and Valentine, the book would just completely fall apart. Um, but that's, and I can understand why it become be a high ranking science fiction novel as the number one. Look, I personally wouldn't rank it as the number one Mm. science fiction novel of all time. But I understand why it's ranked so highly and understand why it might be, say, in somebody's top ten or even top five. Just thank God it's higher than Stranger. Okay, it is a better book than Stranger than Stranger. I will say that. (laughs) The manual that tells me how to program my TV is a better book than Stranger. (laughs) But do you grok the manual that gets you to to program? Yeah, it's a pretty TV? easy pro TV actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, see, for myself, I you know I really enjoyed the book. Read it when I was uh, in high school t- as a teenager, and read it as sort of a with a bit of antipathy because it sounded more like I was just going to get Starship Troopers again, mm. and was actually highly wow. surprised by the fact that this was it's t- better than Starship Troopers. Oh, too. it's much better than Starship <laughs> Troopers. Um, it's probably I'd say a more interesting com- companion to, the, to, to the Forever, Forever War. War. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I agree. But I think The Forever War is a better novel all around. Mm. I think really, as I said, the strength of this is really Ender. There are some well-written action sequences, um, and I love you know the use of Zero-G in their training. Um, very well described. Zero very G. well described mm. um, action sequences as well. You picture it in your head. Um, he's a psycho- psychologically complex character. 
He's not, however, the greatest science fiction character in science fiction above board or even literary science fiction. I think there are still far better characters than him. Um, Atreides? Gullyfoil? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> See, <laughs> thanks for jumping on Gully, my side. Gullyfoil is... I'm a huge fan of stars. So it's, yeah, that's good. Um, awesome. But I think Gullyfoil is a better character. I agree. And Ender. I, I, just, I, just, I just wanted to mention one that I know you personally like. I know. Um, but I think a lot of people see themselves as Ender, though, and that's mm. also a lot of it. There's a lot of... Projection. I don't see myself as Ender. Well, also, I'm more like, Ender's I'm more a much like more well-developed character than Guy Fawkes. Oh, <laughs> no. Well, that, that pretty much leads us to our end thoughts, yeah? I just want to quickly just mention that um, Ender's game is actually now being made into a movie. It's, there's been many attempts over the years to try and get it up and running, but yeah, it's now actually being made into a movie. There's uh, Gavin Hood, director of Wolverine, is been, has signed on as director, and They've actually cast pretty much all of the major roles, and it's a pretty impressive lineup. I don't care. Um, John, John Carter looked like it was going to be promising as well. Cool books. True, okay, Phil. I just want to point. I mean, Aza, Aza Butterfield is playing Ender from Hugo. Hugo. Um, that, that's automatically a black mark. You're not a fan? No. I thought he did a very good job in the film. I thought he was boring as hell. Um, yep. Harrison Ford. <laughs> Harrison Ford, Abigail Breslin. Is Harrison Mason? Hayley Steinfeld. No. Oh, Mason Rackaby's being played by Ben Kingsley. See, that's awesome. How awesome is that? And uh, Viola Davis has been cast as well. So, if nothing else, it looks like they've they've got a good cast involved. Okay, so final thoughts and ratings. Really like the book. I am a, I am a fan. Um, really because of Ender Wigan, though. I think he's, as I said, a fully well-realised um, character. There's some you know, interesting things about the world, but you're really reading this for end of story. Um, I give it four looks. I pretty much agree exactly with what you've said. Um, it's a absolutely fascinating character study piece. It doesn't have the world building of some of my more you know the novels that I would place above it, but it is yeah. It's just everything is driven by Ender, and he's a fascinating character, and so I also give it four. I would give it three. I agree, Ender is a good character, and when I was that age I didn't think I sounded childish either so I had no problem with him grasping adult concepts and being intelligent that's, that's, my mum said I was born an old woman <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that's fine it's just uh, I, I had I really didn't want to read it when I start and then when I got into it and I thought I would give my 20 page rule I got past 20 pages I actually got to the end but I don't think I'd ever read it again it's just not my cup of tea not to say that it's not a good book. It should be up in the top ten. Number one, I don't think mm. so. No, mm. no, it can't. It's not topping foundation for me. No. Yeah, fair enough. It's not, it's not topping stars for me yeah. either. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with Crystal. I, it's and and look uh, and Richard in terms of the character study. I think Ender is fascinating, mm. and um, I mean, he's not as good as Gully, no, <laughs> but but he is but he is really, really good. And what they do to him is is all joking aside yeah pretty terrible stuff um but what he achieves is pretty amazing so we, we skipped over the ending uh because we didn't want to spoil it for people I and mean, yes it's quite an old book um but we basically we want you guys to read it and see it for yourselves it's actually a pretty amazing ending in my opinion i mean it's, it uh, i mean like i said those three chapters almost made me want to rip the book in half but everything around that pretty i mean you know, it was okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it it kept me entertained, I suppose. But then I got to the end, 
and uh, not the ultimate end, but the bit just before the end, and I was just mm. blown away. Yeah, the climax like, of the story is is like, yeah. oh my god, that's brilliant! Yeah, and, yeah the, the, uh, the why did I not pick it? I, the I, climax of the story is pretty amazing. Then there's kind of a fairly lengthy epilogue to set up another series, like to set up a series of books that come after it, which mm. I don't know, didn't really was neither here nor there for me, but. As you say, the climax of the actual story itself, just remarkable. Yeah, I, I didn't find stuff. it all that blowing away, but I'm not sure whether it's because I somehow already knew. Yeah, maybe you already knew, because it is pretty old. But it's certainly, it's it's certainly... Maybe it just didn't do it for you. I, mean, I, don't know yeah. I, I just liked it because it's, it really is the ultimate culmination of everything that has happened up to that point. But yeah, like, like you said, when you look back on it, it, it yeah. it's just obvious. Yeah, yeah. After, I re- after it occurred, I, I sort of thought, sort of reflected and thought, how did I not pick this? Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. But I still, I didn't pick it, and that's pretty impressive. I love that. I love it when I don't pick these stuff. And yeah, the epilogue thing, yeah, it's kind of cool. And it makes sense mm. for what, Ender, With, how Ender reacts. Yeah. It's the setup for the second book, which is called Speaker of the Dead, which yeah. um, also Hugo and Nebula award, award winner. So yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, so ultimately, uh, I'm I'm leaning more towards Crystal and her opinions. I'm I'm going to give it three looks. Just on a side note, on our previous dust jacket, uh, we read uh, Fahrenheit four five one. Uh, it was pretty well received. We got some really good feedback. Um, I gave it uh, two point five looks, and and uh, decided that. I would give it a second go and read it again and give uh, another opinion where I didn't zoom through it in order to get it done for the podcast. I had a, a bit of time and and uh, read it and I've uh, decided I'm going to bump it up to three. And, Still uh, not high enough, but and, uh, okay. yeah, so I know you wouldn't be too happy with that. But it is, yeah. There, there are some little nuances that I did miss mm-hmm. zooming through it. So I can just I recommend that you uh, that everybody give it a shot. Um, and uh, as long as Zen's game, I mean, yes, we, every every book we review. Uh, we highly recommend that you guys. Well, really, really, part of doing these, part of doing these jack, dust jackets is hopefully to introduce books to potential new readers, and you know, and and let us know what you think. We would love to hear from you about what you think of the books, um, and hey, rank them as well. If give us, you know, tell us we're wrong. Insult David for his ridiculously low mark that he's given Fahrenheit four fifty one. Please do it. <laughs> let him know how wrong he is. <laughs> Uh, I like it when I start cat what I what I start moments. <laughs> so in a nutshell, Ender's game, uh not number one. <laughs> <laughs> not number one, but certainly deserves to be a highly ranked. It deserves book. praise. Absolutely. Okay, so that's uh Dust Jacket Done. Thank you very much for sharing guys. No problem. Uh moving on to Popcorn Junkie Dark Shadows. <laughs> Okay, Dark Shadows, the latest film from Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp, Helena Bonham Carter, Chloe, Michelle Pfeiffer, Chloe Moretz, Chloe Moretz, um, Johnny Green. Lee Miller, Miller, and Eva Green, and that whoever the little kid was, and, and Bella Heathcott, Bella Heathcott, Victoria Winters, yes, and and who was the gardener guy? Oh, Jackie Jack Haley. Haley, yeah, who played Rorschach, and. In the remake. There you go. That pretty much covers everybody. There's a lot of people in this film. There's a lot of people. And Alice Cooper. And Alice Cooper. And uh, yes, came in by Alice Cooper, which was very funny. <laughs> okay, so it's it's the uh, film adaptation of uh, one of Tim Burton's childhood favorites, the Dark Shadows TV show, which ran in the late '60s and early '70s. Um, it was quite successful and a precursor to such things as Passions and other bizarre uh, <laughs> sort of supernatural folk based. 
um, soap operas. But also probably also helps pave the way for things like um, Kolchak to a certain degree. Mm. Yeah, true. Had, um, a certain audience going from that to watching um, The Night Stalker. Yeah, very true. Um, yeah, that's a, a nice little connection. I'm not, I'm, not saying that, about that. I'm not saying that there is a, a, a strong correlation as such, but yeah. um, you know, Dark Shadows comes out and then Kolchak and then which leads to things like The X-Files later on. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so it was very popular in its day. Um, it's mainly, it was mainly popular because of the character Barnabas, who showed up around episode 100 or something like that. Mm. Um, the, the show was actually on the verge of cancellation. Yeah, until Barnabas showed up. And, they and re- then suddenly, yeah, it's yeah. like half a year in, they introduced the vampire, and then all of a sudden the show runs for another six years. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, it's it's well-loved because of its uh, ridiculous dialogue and shonky sets and... The, and, campy, uh, the campy nature. The campy nature. And Barnabas. Sort of Barn- irrespective of the campy nature, Barnabas is still held up um, in quite high regard. And yeah. He was <laughs> and a cool a, character. He's a good character. And if there's any sort of power or resonance with the show, it's generally because of something that Barnabas has said. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. something that he's done. Yeah. Um, there, there really is no other reason to watch the show Hat- other than Barnabas Collins. Howard had never heard of this show. Was it rerun on Australian it, TV? Australia did get it, yeah. Um, we didn't get it at the same time, but we got it. No, we, we got, got it, we got it later. later. It's, uh, it's very and they much also a... remade it. They remade it again in yeah. um, the I actually hadn't 80s, watched I think. I'm, I'm much the same as Crystal. I hadn't watched it. I'd never heard of it until they'd announced the film. Yeah. And then they released it on DVD. They released um, the initial Barnabas Collins storyline on DVD recently, and that's how I first saw it. That's why I'm a fan of the show. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's very much a show that has a cult following, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it hasn't it has sort of reg- regular circulation to sort of keep yeah. it in the, in the public eye. This is eye. why I'm, I'm, I'm surprised I haven't seen it, because I'm not usually one for watching the popular shows on TV. Yeah, but it hasn't it hasn't really been rerun probably since the seventies. No, I saw it. Yeah, I I only saw it back in the day because um, my brother worked at a comic shop and managed to. They got some videos of it. Got some videos, yeah, yeah. bootleg videos. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting that when they released the DVDs, it was they started with the Barnabas stuff and didn't release the uh, the early stuff until later. Because they knew full well Dark Shadows the early years. Because Barnabas, Barnabas stuff is by far and away the best stuff. And it's the stuff that everybody wanted to see. So like I said, Tim Burton, big fan, and of course uh, Johnny Depp fan as well, so they got together and produced the, the uh, big screen adaptation. Um, it, yeah. uh, it involves the, the Collins family who uh, immigrate from England to come to the New World, uh, to, funnily enough, New England, um, and uh, start a fishing empire. Uh, their son, Barnabas, falls in love with uh, young Josette, uh, and... Uh, is thwarted uh, in his love by an ex-lover, uh, played by Eva, Eva Green, the the, vamp, uh, the the witch. Yep. Angelique. That's her name? Angelique. Angelique. That's right. How can I forget that? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, in thwarted, but who, uh, in a jealous rage, causes the the death of young Josette. Barnabas is turned into a vampire. I'm not giving it, this is not this is no spoilers. Here. This is all of the trailers. <laughs> Barnabas this is all in the prologue. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, is turned into a vampire and uh, is uh, imprisoned for two hundred odd years. Um, uh, in awakens in 1972, and the fun begins. That's the prologue to the film, and yeah. uh, uh, the rest of the film details uh, Barnabas's adventures as he reawakens and uh, discovers the Collins family not to be as grand and wonderful as they used to be. Um, and also discovers that Angelique is basically still around. Yep, still around. Still tormenting the family. And, exactly uh, same and has and uh, basically conquered the fishing industry hmm. uh, by which, buying up all the fisheries and stuff like yeah. that all up and down the which coast. Is, which is the, the industry that the Collins had made their money on 
in the first place. So that's yeah. part of her revenge is, yeah. Yeah, so destroy the Collins. If, he, if I can't have Barnabas, nobody will. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all we need to say about the plot itself. Yeah, it, it, it's not exactly a, a, a plot-driven, dense um, film as such. Yeah, that's, and that's going to be uh, one of our main points, I do yeah. believe. That, it's, uh, it's But Barnabas' introduction in Dark Shadows, this TV show is actually far different to his introduction here. Here he's sort of accepted as a vampire by certain members of the family. Yeah. Whereas in the TV show, he goes to utmost lengths to convince people that he's, you know, not a vampire. He, the the vampire revelation is something that the other characters have to discover um, throughout the course. Which of, makes more sense. It makes more sense. And it's, it's pro- that's, it, that probably made the first storyline in Dark Shadows a little bit more interesting than the storyline in the film. Because there was something that he had that he was trying to keep secret from everything else. And it gave... Yeah, but in the show, more. in the show, it's all dramatic. In the mm. film, it's all played for laughs, though. Mm. So it's, it's really also, sort of a different deal. Also, so. but you've got the classic Tim Burton dark eye makeup stuff. Yeah, you can, they they pass off his his look just because he's from England. Mm. Like he pretends he's from England, and you know. Well, they try to pass that off. It doesn't yeah, really. Yeah. It, doesn't it doesn't really, really last for long. But the film's long enough as it is. I mean, yeah. if you if yeah. you tried to have that sort of thing, mm. it would have been yeah. even longer, and I probably would have fallen asleep by that point. It's just, I mean, it's just too long. Somebody it is did too fall long. asleep. It's... <laughs> yes, one of us did fall asleep. Uh, it wasn't me though. My dedication to the, to reviewing the film means I could not fall asleep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's, yeah. So I'm going to just go straight into the negatives. To be honest, yeah, I just I um, it's I mean it's. I mean, in terms of production value and stuff like that, it's it's of course it's wonderful to look at. Mm. Being a Tim Burton film, they always are. Yep. Yeah. I mean, even the disasters are always beautiful. Yeah. Um, I mean, Planet, Planet of the Apes. Apes is a shocker, but the army, the ape army looks awesome. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, it's, it's production's always a theme for him, but uh, it's just sometimes beauty, you know, beautiful productions just just doesn't cut it. Sometimes mm. you just have to have a story to be entertained by. That, that's oh, one. Yeah. Of, that's one of Tim Burton's. Um, chief weaknesses mm. in that he creates he's not like Michael Bay who was you know has been has been um, said a visual whore yeah um, except is, that his films don't even look very good no but, um, but I'm they, so sick they, to death of that chase down the highway thing that he does yeah. in but every single film he actually does you know Tim Burton does very hard very tries very hard to create um, a world the world in which his films exist in mm. but it, that sort of comes at the expense of the story mm. if he doesn't have a very strong script and he doesn't have a very strong script here no um, script, film, ri- script written by uh, Seth Graham, Seth Graham. Uh, the Abe Lincoln Seth Graham Green you're Green yeah, yeah. so Abe Lincoln vampire hunter guy yeah and um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies guy yeah yeah um, he tends his films tend to fall flat see Sleepy Hollow Batman Ed Wood had strong scripts yeah so he didn't have to worry about um, you know what do I have to do to actually tell the story he it was there on the page for him, mm. whereas here it's not on the page as such. There are some nice, there are some nice scenes, yeah. I think, but they don't come together to form a particularly interesting story. I love the scene with Barnabas um, talking to the hippies in an attempt to understand um, the Top modern stuff. culture, in an attempt to understand how he can get um, Victoria yeah. um, to be his lover, yeah. and it's a very funny scene. Mm. Um, in a, but in the context of the wider story, which is meant to be how does um, Barnabas woo Victoria Winters and how that plays off with Angelique, yeah. it actually falls a bit flat because the Victoria Winters storyline itself is actually not very well developed. Well, it's not, not, in, not well developed. It just, it just disappears. The, mm. Well, to me, that's actually the... Uh, to me, that's the, the only really major problem with the film is that they set, they set up. up this whole 200-year relationship uh, you know, with the suggestion that Bella Heathcote is some kind of 
um, you know, reincarnation of Joseph or whatever, and um, yeah, and and they say they seem to be presenting it as at the start, especially as the core of the story. I mean, mm. she's the mm. focal character at uh, in the beginning. Um, but it then... almost looks like it's going to be her POV. Mm. Like yeah. it's like yeah, you know, exactly. she's a new person on the scene. Yeah, it's a weird family. Yeah. We get to see, experience mm, yeah. everything she experiences, but she's just very much in the background. Well, that's the yeah. thing. Then as soon from... as Barnabas appears, she's. Yeah, she's out of there. Exactly right, and that—that that I think is the big problem. Is is that you've set it up as a core element of the story, but then it's forgotten, and the entire thing seems to focus then on Barnabas and um, Angelique's relationship. Yeah. Um, with really the entire Victoria storyline just kind of forgotten and brought sort of back every now and again, but there really was an opportunity to actually make that story stronger and to play off, I guess. Um, sort of almost the, a bizarre love triangle between the three of them. Yeah. Um, and I think that would have actually worked a lot better. Mm. Um, that, would have given, that would have given the story its drive, and that's that's mm. another key thing that it was missing. It was missing something to keep the momentum going. Yeah, I mean, um, you can't rely on... I mean, as wonderful as Johnny Depp was, and I'll throw it out there, I mean, he was, he was awesome. Yes. Absolutely. As, as he I, always I thought, is. Actually, there were moments where I thought he just... I couldn't see Johnny Depp. No. Or Jonathan yeah. Fruit. I just saw Barnabas. Yeah, yeah. it was um, very impressive. And the same with Ava Green. I thought yeah. she was wonderful as as um, yeah. as Angelique. The, the the deliciously evil smile she kept giving everyone, and the the way she threw herself into the part with with gusto. Yeah, was what a, about was a that lot accent, That's <laughs> spot on. I thought that was I thought that was good. They it, gave it, they, 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 they gave right her off. they gave her a main, main accent. Yeah, you yeah. know, and and I think she did it brilliantly. I thought it was it was. Uh, a, there were moments where it, it sort of where she descended into her European accent because she is European, yeah. I think. Um, but even then, that wasn't really distracting. No, not really, yeah. because it was, she starts out that with an English accent yeah. from a couple yeah. hundred years ago, yeah. so it, it's the natural she may revert to that. It threw me. But yeah, even Al, Al Helen uh, Bonham Carter didn't annoy me. I, mean, I thought all the, all the cast were actually quite mm. well, good, but I Johnny Depp was awesome. But I found the Carolyn character quite annoying, even though she was meant to be annoying, but I found her annoying. But uh, given what happens to her character later, I think they could have developed that mm. one a bit more. Yeah, yeah, that's the second, I think, the second big problem. That revelation mm. just comes out of nowhere. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they could, have, they could have hinted at it a bit. That's what all the dark um, and moody sneering was about. Yeah. That, that yeah. look she had on her There's face, some... like she's smelling something bad the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> smelling something bad acting. Well, there's, there's, there's sort of a two big revelations at the end. One about Carolyn, one about David. Mm. The one about David is fine because they've actually hinted at it for the whole film yeah, and, and built it up so that when, when, when this, this revelation occurs... Um, it, it makes perfect sense, but uh, the one about Caroline just comes out of nowhere, and you're just sort of left thinking, uh, "Why? Why did you bother doing that? It doesn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. It doesn't add anything. It doesn't to the serve film. It doesn't, story. No. It just seems more like we need. Mm. And we need. We need the family to get involved in the end fight mm. with Angelique. So we need yeah. to give Caroline something to do mm. or something to be. I'll give you a start on the end fight. The end fight was far too long. Mm. It was boring as hell. Yeah, it wasn't. And, and, it, it was given the nature of. All the characters by that stage, it should have been something wonderfully phantasmagorical. Yeah, and it should have been absolutely violent. Yeah, we should have. Seen, this should have been the moment where Barnabas cuts loose. He's had enough. She's brought the family to ruin. She's put the family in danger and has harmed them. This should have been the moment where Barnabas goes, "No, now I'm just going to kill you." Mm. Uh, it should have been this gloriously macabre moment. It, and it but, wasn't. but I think the point of the end battle, though, is to show. You know the family coming together and 
trying to you know beat Eva Green together. So I think, and I think that was the point of what he was trying to get across in that scene. But the problem yeah, with that is that it, that, it that, is, that is the that is the that is the point of the thing. And you could yeah. still could have done that in the context of the family, um, but also could because the family. And this gets back to Carolyn Stoddart a bit. The family haven't been as sufficiently developed as they should have been. Yeah. So I didn't particularly care about them towards them. Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to care too. about them. I didn't care about any of the characters. Um, but because Barnabas dominates so readily, yeah. Um, the uh, the other characters left sort of flattered a little bit. I actually wanted so to really, see. So really, so really, what you're saying is that it's actually perfectly captured the TV show, one hundred percent. Because really, none of the characters in the TV show are interesting except Barnabas and the only time that they do become interesting is in their relationship with Barnabas but that's just that you don't really get to see you could have developed the relationships between them and Barnabas uh, you could have Um, and I I do agree with that Um, I will say though that for the most part watching this film for about two thirds of the film I was actually entertained by it I actually didn't I I wasn't bored I didn't think it was too long I just didn't um, I just think that there were certain stories that weren't developed as well as they should have been. I did like the camp nature of it, and the very—it's a very soap opera nature to it as well. Um, you know, and and, and I appreciate that. He has when he moves around mm. it. When he first, yeah. when he first wakes up, first wakes up and goes to the town, and just these bizarre sort of finger hand yeah. hand positions that he's in, yeah. he's looking in the windows mm. and stuff. And I really love that. I really love that. That uh, special effect has it's been there in cinema for you know many moons where they're basically they're on a on a skateboard or something and they, they just yeah. get pulled aside. Yeah, just yeah. Go, they, just they just slide, slide to the side. Yeah. I love that stuff. I don't yeah. know why, but it's, I, so, I, I like the entire town sequence from the, from the moment he wakes up and kills everybody to going through the town and then meeting Jackie mm. Earl Haley and saying mm. what the hell is going on. Mm. All that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I I liked a lot of that part, you know, and I liked. Um, you know, it was like I said. I was actually, for the most part, entertained. I, I I agree with what you're saying about the final battle. I thought the final battle was a bit could have could have been a lot better staged, a lot more interesting. Although the special effect on Eva Green at the end there, I think, is pretty cool. Yeah, like, well, the, 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 the cracking effect. The cracking. Yeah, the, ah, right. Not so much the heart, but certainly the the cracking effect of it. Um, so yes, yeah, so I have to say, watching the film, I was entertained, but it's also really not a film that I'll go back to. I was like, yeah, I enjoyed watching it. You know, it was, you know, past the time. I didn't feel like I'd wasted my time watching the film. But at the same time, there's nothing really memorable that makes me go, you know, I'll go back and watch it again. It just sort of is. It was just there. Mm. I thought the the final battle scene could have occurred during the big ball because they needed the whole town to get together. The whole town Mm. was there. The family were all there. They could have concluded it all in instead of yeah. stretching it out. Totally with you. And that could have been one of them, the things that they built up to. That's a, that, 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 that might be a problem. There is actually no build up to anything. Yeah. Um, it, things just, just sort of happen. I, and I, I think a, you can't quite understand what... It doesn't really know what it's trying to be. Yeah. Is it trying to be gothic? Is it trying to be a comedy? Is it trying to be drama? Is it trying to be horrific? Mm. Oh, it doesn't I, no, really I quite disagree. Know. I think it's definitely trying to be a camp yeah, it's trying to be, comedy. Drama. I know it's trying to be camp, but... Camp, but camp comedy with a sort of darker edge to it. I think that's exactly it's like no, much of I, I like a lot of like a lot of what Tim Burton does. I think that's exactly what it's going for. But it, it, what, I think what, whether it succeeds or not is another. I think what Dave is saying here is it doesn't quite get the balance and the tone right. Yeah. Um, those elements that you're talking about there, which are, are there, mm. and it's trying to be all those things, but 
the balance mm. is what I think. But I mean, I, I must admit, I found it funny. There were a lot of scenes I, where I was laughing out it. loud. Yeah. Which, I, I found know, it funny. I found most, it funny most, com- most comedies don't do that yeah. at all these days. You know, I oh. thought there was some very, very funny moments in it. The so. illuminated, the illuminated M. Being the, the illuminated, yes, the Mephistopheles. The, Mephistopheles. Yeah, see, the thing funny. is, though, all the funny bits in the film are in the trailer. Mm. I mean, it's very much a, the trailer has failed this film. It's just, it's, I'll, it's, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't think I've actually really saw a full trailer. I saw a teaser. Oh, so I, I, did, I didn't really yeah. see the trailer. So I, I, trailer. Yeah, so I sort of went into it. I mean, really, I went to see this film because, you know, for the most part, I like Tim Burton and yep. because I like the old TV show. So I was kind of interested to see it. So I'd never really watched the trailer, so I didn't. So you've seen quite a few of the episodes of the TV show? Yeah, I've seen a big chunk of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah over the years. Um, awesome. Well, there was a couple of things. That, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we've already said a couple of things that we did that we really liked. I mean, yeah, like I said, the town thing was cool. Um, uh, I thought they would have during the the love scene. I think it would have been a bit uh, a bit better if they actually didn't actually have the sex scene itself. If they just if they actually if she'd actually you know the bit where she's like you know how can you resist these mm. and uh, he's like yeah they're wonderful and then. If they didn't have the cut, the, the sex scene, and then just cut straight to him going looking at the disaster room, it was like, wow, that didn't. That, that I, was an unfortunate I, I, chain of events. I thought I that was hilarious. I actually found it pretty funny. That's uh, the funniest sex scene I've seen since Team America. You reckon? Yeah. I, just, I, I thought, thought it was it hilarious. Went, it went on far too long. It could have been cut. It uh, could have. It could have been cut down a little bit. I agree with that. But I, I actually thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, but uh, I mean, there were some cool bits. The Alice Cooper bit, obviously, ugliest woman I've ever seen. It was hilarious. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's great great to see Alice Cooper all decked out old school style. Yeah, old school Alice Cooper. Yeah. That was pretty cool. And uh, I think uh, like everybody did, you know, a good job. I just I just felt that it was just very much a meh sort of film. I just yeah. I didn't it, I didn't walk out thinking that was awesome, but but I didn't walk out thinking, Oh my god, I just wasted twenty dollars. Yeah, was, exactly. It was exactly. it was just very much it was like, Hey, well, yeah. you know, it happened and mm. you know. Yeah. What can you do? Tim Burton always will still be a master in my eyes, but mm-hmm. it's you know yeah, he was but, I he mean, didn't have he, any contribution to the script, I think he should have. Yeah. I mean, I, I hold Tim Burton to a fairly high standard, yeah. and this film didn't really quite reach the standard that I would like to see from him Bear more often. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, he's a far cry, I think, from the Batman Returns, Edward mm. um, days, where he had really strong scripts, mm. really good stories to work with. Mm. Having said that, I know you disagree, but I actually really liked Sweeney Todd. I thought Sweeney Todd was really cool and um, I was bored out of my brain Sweeney Todd was well directed that was him back on form in terms of a director but in terms of a storyteller um, Sweeney Todd no I actually enjoyed Sweeney Todd but um, Mm. certainly more than say um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory which is terrible and the less no say once (laughs) again I, I saw Charlie and the Chocolate Factory much like Dark Shadows yeah you know there were things I liked about it I was for the most part relatively entertained yeah but it's a film that's just there, you know. It's like, yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, I would love to see more of the uh, Edward Scissorhands, Beetlejuice, Batman, yeah. Sleepy Hollow, um, you know, briefly, Nightmare Before Christmas. I'd like to see that Tim Burton yeah, more often. Briefly on the Charlie, it's just I'm a diehard fan of the original Charlie and Charlie mm. Factory, so yeah. <laughs> it was a travesty in my eyes. But that's right, that's a whole different, a different story. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. This is. He's, he's a, it's a high standard, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. it just it didn't just quite meet. But for, I mean, fortunately, he hit I the also bar. Hold, he didn't go over the bar. Yeah, yeah. I, I also hold uh, Johnny Depp to a very high standard, yeah. and I think he's more than anything else. He's the one that delivered in this film. Yeah, he's, he's the one that just that just took it to a whole other level, and yeah, yeah actually became a, a completely separate character. And more importantly, though, he became a different character. 
to the character that he often plays mm. in Tim Burton films. Yes. Whereas, like the, the Mad Hatter, for example, mm. in Alice in Wonderland, which I, was another disappointment for me um, uh, as a film. But um, the Mad Hatter is really not that far removed from, you Sweeney know, Todd. from Sweeney Todd. Or, yeah, yeah. Whereas this, I thought, was a very different performance, while still while still maintaining that kind of weird Johnny Depp Tim Burtonisms that they have whenever they work yeah. together. Yeah. It was still a different performance and he, he approached it differently and his mannerisms were different yeah. and um, you know his accent I thought was spot on yep. yeah. like I didn't even at first when the voiceover started I didn't even recognise that it was him like obviously I knew it was him because because you know it's Barnabas' story and so you assume yeah. the voiceover is Barnabas yeah. but it didn't actually occur to me like I, I couldn't quite connect gotcha. yeah. you know that that was him at that point so I did like uh, at the start to be he became a vampire the, they managed to make him look incredibly young and that worked yeah. really well yeah. m- well, well, much better than the, the Jeff Bridges in Tron it wasn't creepy <laughs> at all <laughs> well they did they, they, they did the same thing with Alice Cooper yeah yeah. they made Alice look substantially younger I mean Alice he's, he's getting on in years he's yeah the, the hard living has, uh, has got to him it worked really but well didn't it because you saw Alice Cooper there and it just looked like what you'd expect to see Alice Cooper looking like in 1972 yeah. it didn't yeah. it didn't look out of place yeah. in the least mm. alright let's wrap up with the scores look a lot of it has actually been said and I agree with a lot of it it's not not a travesty but it's not anything to write home about this is at best two looks for me yeah, I'm going to give it two and a half. Like I said, I was entertained, um, but it's not really a film that I'll be going back to to watch again or anything. It passed the time. So middle of the road, two and a half score. Yeah, two and a half for me too. Cool. Oh, I'm going to go with Luke and go with two. Um, yeah, it was just, there was, uh, it's, you know, it's a visual feast and I've basically given it two for Johnny Depp, really, mm. essentially. He's brilliant at what he does, you know, he does yeah. what he does, he's, what he does. he's the best at what he does mm-hmm. and uh, it just, he just, he pulls out all the stops for this film. Yeah. But in terms of the film itself, yeah, it's just, it was just very, very much middle of the road. Mm. I gave it the extra half point for the music. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that's very cool. I'm just... not that big a music person. So I must admit, I'm, I'm a big, I, I, I very much love that sort of late 60s early 70s period of music mm-hmm. of rock music especially and yeah, yeah they're just they're it was just cool seeing Alice Cooper though and, and, yeah, and, 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 like, and Chloe doing the intro to the song was pretty funny yes that was that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> she's got to go a long way if she uh, doesn't crash and burn she's, well, she's, got, she's very uh, good she's got uh, obviously her performance in Hugo was highly praised mm. and uh, she's got Carrie the remake of Carrie coming up so she's she's poised she yeah. could go either way but she's poised for, for stardom no doubt about that let's hope for the best Awesome! Let's move on to coming soon. And on Wednesday, May 16, is Sasha Baron Cohen's latest, The Dictator. Um, a bit strange mm. coming out on a Wednesday instead of a Thursday. I don't know why that is, but um, yeah, I'm a bit ambivalent about the whole thing. Yeah, it's. Um, yeah. He, you know, he. I didn't mind Ali G, um, the TV show, mainly because I like the Borat sequences. Fun enough, I never actually saw Borat the film. Yeah. But. I'm just not really interested in going to see any of his movies. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I mean Borat, LG I and Borat were, were good. Bruno was awful. Yeah. Um, and but I just don't... Dictator, I'm just not I, interested in, in the, the theme, not the idea. Inter- he's an okay supporting um, guy, but I'm just not interested in seeing him carry a film. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, then the week after, on May 24th, we get the return of Men in Black with their third adventure. Uh, I won't be seeing good. that. Really? I'm looking forward to it. I d- didn't like the first film and... 
therefore didn't see the second film and not really interested, therefore, in the third. No, I you didn't, didn't see the other part two. No, just, didn't, just wasn't oh, interested. Part one didn't do it for me, so... Really? I love part one. Part one didn't do it for me. And part two is god-awful. Yeah, part two is an absolute abysmal piece of rubbish. Yeah. I really, really like. So it. I just no, yeah. that don't. I have a stance it. that says if I don't like the film, I'm not going to see its sequels. Well, that's, that's fair, fair enough. enough. That's, that's so. I, did, I did like the first. I really one, enjoyed so the first one, but I don't remember the second one. So I'm a big fan of uh, Jermaine Clement from uh, Fly the Concord, so and he plays a villain, so I'm I'm pretty excited. That's an interesting casting choice for the villain, Jermaine I, from Flight of the Concords. I love Jermaine. I think he's hilarious. <laughs> if they start breaking out into song, he was the only good thing about that. Dinner party movie, dinner oh, for schmucks. That was awful. It was just we couldn't. It was, even it was almost painful to watch. But as soon as he appeared on screen, I was like, "All right, Jermaine," and then, and then basically just fast forward to any time when he was on, <laughs> <laughs> just ignore everything else. It was just so bad. Oh, the distant future, the distant future. <laughs> <laughs> the humans are dead. And as always, NCP's favourite cinema, The Asta, has a great selection of films showing in the next two weeks, including classic 80s sci-fi double, The Last Starfighter, and The Philadelphia Experiment on May 14. You sorry, have a really the... interesting definition <laughs> of classic yes. sci-fi. But... classics! And, a, and oh. a, it would be a fun double, though, I must admit. How can it you not like The Last Starfighter and Philadelphia Experiment? Are you serious? Do you I, not like them? I, not that I'm disagreeing, I, but old doesn't necessarily equal classic. Exactly right. <laughs> okay. Look, I, I stand by out, the classic. I should point out that, you know... Seen the last Starfighter a few years ago for like the second time, maybe. Could not understand why they were all standing around him cheering him on <laughs> as he finished a computer game. <laughs> How can you go past the last Starfighter? The, the cherry blossom effect. Great stuff. <laughs> anyway, and uh, they also have a Hitchcock double on the 19th. Talk about overrated Hitchcock. Ooh. You uh, the, w? Uh, the Lady Vanishes and the 39 Steps. I'm sorry, if your definition of classic is The Last Starfighter <laughs> and Philadelphia Experiment, you should not be using Alfred Hitchcock and overrated when talking about The Lady Vanishes and 39 Steps. You have that. instantly disqualified yourself. There is I, steam coming out of Luke's ears. I'm going to do the, uh, the YouTube clip. Leave David alone! <laughs> you put that on YouTube now? Check out their full listings at www.astatheatre.net.au and don't forget that you can contact us by email. That's right, children. Email that fantastic new technology. Now contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or tweet us at, at nerdculturecast or leave a comment on any post on our website www.nerdculturepodcast.com and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Use all of these exciting new forms of technology to let us know how wrong Waldo is. That's it from me, David, and the crew. Luke. It's pronounced technology. Richard. Strange newfangled technology. He still can't say it. And Crystal. I thought he said technology. I did. Luke's just wrong. <laughs> Never! Bye! Bye.